Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Let's Run.com Track Talk podcast. Plenty to discuss this week. Indoor track is officially back. We had the New Balance Indoor Grand Prix. We had the Dr. Sander invite in New York. We had boots on the ground in both locations. So a lot to talk from each of those races, uh, all the distance races at those meets. Edward Cheserak has decided that he wants to try to run for Kenya this year. Nike has completed its investigation into the Nike Oregon project. So we'll talk about the findings there or the lack thereof. Tyler Day runs 13-16, Northern Arizona senior, to set the American collegiate record in the 5,000 meters at BU. World Indoors suddenly seems up in the air. Is that still happening due to the coronavirus outbreak in China? We'll finish off by giving our Super Bowl picks, Kansas City against San Francisco. But first, Weldon, give the people an ad. I think you mean sponsored plug, John. Do you guys know what's 31 days from today? The Olympic marathon trials. Very good, John. Very good. John, do you have your tickets to the Olympic marathon trials? Hotel accommodations? I guess the question is, have you guys booked them for me yet? And no, you have not. That is correct. But if we have not booked our tickets and accommodations to trials, that means still time for everyone else to book. Make it a great weekend, everyone. Olympic marathon trials a month from now, February 29th in Atlanta, and then the next day, March 1st, the Publix Atlanta 5K, 10K, half marathon and marathon. It really doesn't get any better than that for running in the U.S., the trials, and you can run a race the day after. So make it a weekend in Atlanta. We're issuing, we're going to have like a fatwa. Let's run.com fatwa. If you're within four hours of Atlanta driving, you must be there. Otherwise, you'll lose your let's run.com card. Flying, well, it's up to you. If you have to fly, you know, you, you don't have to go. But for those on the West Coast, we have a different fatwa. Flying 3,000 miles, you may not have to do it, but we've got a race for you. The Can-Am XC Cup. That is March 1st in beautiful Victoria, British Columbia. Cross-country for the masses, and you can represent Team USA. You know, they have five-year age groups, so you're 40 years old. You go run. You're on Team USA for the USA. Pretty cool. Check it out. All right. Well, let's begin our discussion of last week's indoor track meets. There are a lot of races. Robert, you didn't. You sort of observed them from afar. Well, and I might be biased because we were actually at the meets. So tell me, what was the most interesting race to you? What were you most excited by this past weekend? Excited, like in a good way, or interested, or could it be a bad way? I it mean, could be a bad way. Interest. What were you most interested? What do you want to talk about right now? Well, I mean, I feel like it's a disservice to the pros to start talking about Caitlin Tui, Mary Kane, but that's kind of where I want to go. Um, in terms of the pro performances, I was very impressed by by, by Bryce Hopple, Donovan Brazier, and Jessica Hull. I, I thought they were the leaders for me, but um, I, I guess let's go Kane Tui. I mean, to be honest, Saturday, this is going to sound weird to the people, the listeners. We were celebrating Christmas at our house. There's been a lot of illnesses. The grandparents had not been able to come in. The child had been sick. The grandparents were sick. Then the child was sick. We literally celebrated Christmas with the in-laws this Saturday. So I wasn't exactly watching the races on TV. I did get a break in action at one point. I logged onto the message board. Don't yeah, don't lie. You weren't watching that, Robert. Once that Kane Tui race came up, I saw like live updates from Rojo on the live thread. I didn't watch a single race on TV, not one. So, how are you giving updates of this race? Were you like refreshing the results page or something? I wasn't giving updates. I I went to the thread, and, and I think Weldon was there, and I realized the race was going on. People were updating the splits, and then I think I went to the timing page and just 
was able to analyze it from there. And, you know, I, I think on this uh, podcast last week, you know, we said that Kane is going to get crushed. And I was kind of worried about her being overmatched. And, and that proved to be the case. I was following the thread. She fell off the pace. And I said, yep, you know, she's lost contact. But then I was shocked when, like, the next update was, you know, Tui's falling off and she's falling hard. Kane's going to catch her. So Mary Kane actually, former high school phenom, beat the current high school phenom, Caitlin Tui, which was a shock. But neither girl, or excuse me, or young woman in the spin sense of Kane ran well. John, you have the times for them. Yeah, 924 for Kane and 932 for Caitlin Tui. I actually think Mary Kane's effort, I mean, I know she wasn't happy with the result, but the way she ran it wasn't that bad. I mean, she she went out hard and tried to hang with the pack, and she couldn't because she admitted she wasn't, you know, the winning time in that race was like 8.48. She wasn't going to be able to do that. And she knew that she wasn't in shape to run that fast, but what are your options? If you're going to try to run like 9.15 or something, she would either have to hang way off the pack and run her own race from the gun, or go out harder and fall back. And she went out hard. She fell back. She died a little bit more than she would have wanted the last 1K, but I think she's getting out there racing. She's giving it a shot, which is something she openly admitted she wouldn't do when she wasn't feeling you know, fully fit the last few years. And she's got this long-term focus in outdoors. We don't know if we'll see her again until the outdoor season, but for Kane, you know, it wasn't a great result, but I don't think it was a disaster. It wasn't a disaster, but Mary Kane's days as an elite athlete, I think, are over. We're not; she's not going to make the Olympic trials. And to me, the result is more troubling for Tui. I know she's amazing. I know she's won three straight, but this is starting to remind me a little bit, John, of Mary Kane in high school. the The year Mary Kane won World Indoors, she also did in PR, and I got very nervous about it. What, you mean World Juniors? Excuse me. Yes, and. Tui, while she won NXN, it wasn't as dominant as it's normally been. Her she ran nine oh one in this race last year. She runs nine twenty this year. It's just nine thirty two. Excuse me, nine thirty two. The edge is off. It doesn't seem to be heading in the right direction. But people like this. Some a lot of people on this podcast, or I don't know, people are used to me going off. And I'm going to introduce a new segment, Rojo's Rant. And I've got two of this. This is a this new week. segment. Well, it's got a new title. Companies out there, if you if you want to have a sponsored segment, Rojo's Rant is available for sponsorship. So I was thinking about this. The very next day, Caitlin Tui came back and doubled at her county championships, I think in the same building. She ran both the 3,000 and the 1,500. Um, she, she ran pretty fast, John. I don't know if you have the splits. I think it was like 940 in the 3,000 and... Yeah, she ran 9.40 in the 3K and 4.36 in the 1500. There's now a thread on that on the our world-famous message board. Folks, if you're a high schooler and you just came to Let's Run because of Josh Method last week, we have the front page. It's like your front page of a sports page. We have the news, but we also have a world-famous message board where you can be a fan and discuss the action. But on the message board, there's a thread called Tui Back Racing Day After Doc Sender Invite. And some people are saying this just proves her coach is a moron, et cetera. They're criticizing him. I don't have a problem with her racing on the team. I think being part of a high school team is something very important, and it's something that's not really pointed out very much about Mary Kane. Mary Kane quit the high school team 
you know, very early in her career, despite going from a very Bronxville, which is a very well-respected team in New York. So, you know, I, I can understand she has a two has a very disappointing race. She doesn't in the pro race. She doesn't talk to the media. Try to get her back into it. Support the team. This is the longest, the slowest building rant I've ever heard in my life. Let's get it going here. Anyways, I don't have a problem with her running with the team. I think that's fine. She's so much better than those athletes. She can run as, as a teammate. But there's a great message board post, and it's by um, an anonymous poster named Namecheck, and he's got the splits. Every single lap virtually in both the 3K and the 1500 was slower than the lap before. This is idiotic. Why the coach would let her go out, hammer from the gun, and then just fade is really stupid. One of the things that John Kellogg, the mantra, one of the mantras of his coaching, and John may be coming out of retirement soon, folks. You'll have to pay to get this access to John Kellogg, but it may be happening. But I always used to say this when I was coaching at Cornell for 10 years. Almost everything you do in running should be slower to faster. You want to finish workouts. Your, your best races feel almost effortless. It's like, oh, I could go so much faster. And you want to train that way, like start slow, finish fast. If I was going to, the coach, and I said, coach, please let me run the county championships. I want to help the team. I'd say fine, but run the first mile of the 3K with the other girls and then bring it down so you feel positive. You feel like, okay, I can go faster. I'm getting back into the groove. To go out and run 458 and then die to a 940 is absolute stupidity. It's just so stupid, so disappointing. That's it. That's Rojo's rant number one for the day. Wow. Took a while there. I got a lot of things to say. One, I mean, this is going back about 10 minutes now when Robert's like, John, you got the times? It's like, like John's like the keeper of results to the armory track meet. But yeah, I was there. It was pretty, I don't know, I shouldn't say shocking. Tui fading like that was the shocking part, right? I think Kane's race was pretty much as expected. The end time, 924 was actually one second faster than she ran, I think, about 17 days ago. So how much are you going to improve? I don't care who you are. How much are you going to improve in two weeks? So Kane kind of said, I think she said she thought maybe she'd run 9.10 or 9.15. She goes out at nine-minute pace. What's going to happen if, you, if you're not in nine-minute pace and you go out at it? You're going to fade. So whatever. She fades to 9.20, 9.24. Who really cares? The sort of shocking part was that – so Kane dropped off right before the mile, and there was a gap. You know, she was off. She was second to last at the beginning, but then she was off the pack. And you're just kind of figuring, wow. Just to see it, it's it's kind of eye-opening. Because Kane's still a huge name. She gets the biggest ovation of the crowd when the gun goes off, all that stuff at the starting line. And then a few minutes later, Tui just starts fading. And she faded so hard. Uh, you know, she started running 80 seconds for 400, and then I think about 90, and it was no contest. I think Kane passed her about 400 to go. Everybody's there. They want to talk to Kane and Tui. Tui's a high school kid, so they her coach or whoever she didn't come through the media area which is fine but i think one thing these high school kids got to learn it's like so she had a bad race just go say something about it they're, they're not some some of these high school kids aren't coped to talk about it which is fine but i think at some point they need to be right because i don't mind i don't mind a high school and not talking if it was a college kid i would expect them to talk but she's 17 she she's running against pros i don't think she has an obligation to talk to the media oh i 100 percent agree she doesn't have an obligation but i think at some point how do we teach these kids to cope with the so-called, quote, failure, right? We say failure, right? Uh, did you guys know that Tui's time is still a nation, you know, the number one time in the country right now for high school girls? 
So she runs 30 seconds slower than she did last year. And it's still the number one time in high school. That's how good she was. Like the expectations are so high for her. We're sort of evaluating her. We should just say like, look, she's a really good high school runner. I hope her the best in the future. Most likely, does she become a world beater? I think the historical evidence says no. Historic, but here's the thing. Historical evidence says that no American high schooler would become a world beater. It's like very, very rare for anyone to become like one of the best in the world out of high school, even if you are one of the best Americans. I mean, my take on this is she's 17. Like, I'm not going to write her off or condemn her career or say anything's over. Like, she's not as good as she was last year. Okay, that happens. We'll see how she makes it through her career. We don't know. It could last a couple years. It could last 10, 15 more years. I don't know. She's 17. I'm not going to project too much on her. I just want to see. She's going to a good school, running school next year in NC State. We'll see how they handled her. But we have plenty of evidence of Phenoms flaming out immediately. And we have somewhat less evidence of strong high school runners actually going on to professional success. And we don't know which one Tui is going to be right now. Yeah, and one thing I think is important to understand here, John and I were talking about this off-air the other day, was it's pretty normal, particularly when these women are you know going through the maturation process, for them to stall in their improvement. The question is, can they come out the other side? We don't know. She's still just going to have a good college career, but I just, I don't know. She probably wanted to run this race to prove that she's better than last year. To me, the writing was on the leaves all fall. She's not as good as she was last year. She's a little bit worse, even on her best day. So I don't know. I think these, I've never been a big fan of indoor track. I guess it keeps high school kids busy and stuff like that. But it's just like, she was just running a national level meet in December. Here we are. It's still, it's only like six weeks, seven weeks later, and we have to run another big race. I would have just chilled indoors, but Hey, I guess they were trying to get back on the, you know, the PR train. Robert coining a new phrase. The writing was on the leaves. Also, before we move on, I just want to give credit. Uh, Nicole Hutchinson. We haven't mentioned her yet. She actually won the race in 848. Looked pretty good doing so as well. So figure since we talked about the people who were, what, 14th and 15th or 13th and 14th in that race, we may as well give the winner some love. Good call, John. And while we're talking about Kane, I think we need to move to the next big topic. Came out yesterday. Aaron Strout in Women's Running has reported that Nike has concluded its investigation into its treatment, the Nike Oregon Project's treatment of the women on the team that Mary Kane exposed in the New York Times. Uh, Mary Kane did not participate in this investigation. Mary Kane called for an independent investigation of Nike's practices. Nike said, no, we're not doing that. We're just going to investigate ourselves. So as Nike's investigation of themselves is over. And uh, Strout has one, two, three, five bullet points that are going to result from this. According to Nike, again, there's no third-party independent uh, verification of this. And they are one, Nike will investigate into, into science, invest into scientific research into the impact of how does elite training affect girls and women. Nike will increase the number of female coaches it has. They will hire a VP of global women's sports marketing in the coming weeks to have, quote, strategic oversight over Nike's female athletes. They will create an athlete think tank to help the company understand the opportunities and challenges faced by female athletes. And they will partner with the Crisis Text Line, a free confidential text messaging service for people to ask for help when in crisis. What is your guys' reaction to this development? Okay, my take is I think it's good that they're taking some action on this and trying to affect change. I think hiring a VP of Global Women's Sports Marketing is a good idea. Hopefully there's a woman in that role because they're fairly underrepresented in that area of the sport. I think that it is... I don't know. I mean, I, I'm sort of on the... I don't think 
necessarily the does does the public have a right to these findings i guess is the question i i would i'd like to see them i think mary kane would like to see them i'm sure a lot of people would like to see them and i bet like former and present nike athletes if they reached out and asked to see them i think would be good i think it would be a good look as for nike as mary kane said to make the argument make the findings public essentially say you know we had some issues and maybe you redact some stuff for private dc issues if you need to but you know, say, hey, look, there were some issues here. We're taking steps to correct them. Here's what we found. She said, she told Women's Running, it looks both weak and cowardly that as a corporation, they won't release what they found. My other issue with this is we don't actually know who was conducting this investigation. All we know it was Nike. They didn't make it clear to Women's Running which person was leading the investigation. And Kane actually didn't participate for this reason. She said, there was no real transparency in the process, so I became very frustrated with the fact that there was no clear-cut person in charge. It was Nike investigating Nike, and seemingly some of the people involved in the process were investigating themselves. Yeah, I think, John, that, that was the key word. You said, we don't know who was doing the investigation. I don't think it really matters when it's Nike doing its own investigation. It's sort of a, to me, that doesn't give the investigation much credibility. I think a bigger thing that needs to be done is is if Nike wants to be serious about making some change. I mean, they're the leader in the running world, right? They do a lot that's really good, but they've the running division in some ways is run like a little mafia. John Capriati has been there forever. Alberto Salazar had carte blanche to do whatever he wanted. Chris Wettstein was beaten up by somebody and nothing seemed to happen. John at one point, John Capriati, you know, th- allegedly threatened. Danny Mackey, nothing seemed to happen. I think there's a bigger cultural problem that an outside investigation could look into. How can, how do we know they're really going to like ask the difficult questions? Is someone's really going to ask Alberto what needs to be asked? It's an internal thing when sort of the impression's been given that he can do whatever he wants. So that's one thing. I think it, and, uh, with the resources of Nike, it should have been an independent investigation. And then Kane would have participated and said what she said. Having said that, I still think there's more to come out. There's some message boards posters saying, look, this was an internal thing, but Nike wanted to handle it that way. I guess that's the prerogative. I disagree with it. But they said, look, there was town hall meetings held at Nike. Now, this is an anonymous poster saying this. And they're like, anyone could have attended and the findings were released. So if that's the case, I think we'll learn a little more maybe what came out if it's more than just a report and people – I guess the Nike employees probably aren't going to want to talk, but I think more will leak out then about exactly what was found. So if they did have town halls and... and This is the other thing, Nike Oregon Project. I mean, how many... I'd be interested to know within Nike corporate culture, how how many people at Nike actually care about the Nike Oregon Project? Like outside of the ones who work specifically in professional running. Like to me, most people in the running world really care about the Nike Oregon Project for better or worse. They're interested in it. Did it, how much of the difference does it make? Like, how much do the people at the Nike campus actually care about this pro running group that they happen to sponsor? Well, John, I think there's a lot, a lot of women that care about how Nike treats women. Yeah, whether it's employees and contractors. So I, I don't think they actually care so much. But I think and that men, men care as well how women are treated. I think they don't necessarily like a male dominated business ignoring the concerns of women. You know, in terms of whether it's maternal leave whether it's eating disorders and stuff like that. But, I mean, come on, guys. Do we expect anything else? I mean, this is a company that's, you know, had dating back. We've exposed their sort of, I would say, corruption or just not giving an half about anything, what other people think. They've had dopers in their VIP box at the Olympic trials. Jonathan Galt broke this story. 
uh, with the police report, there was apparently, allegedly, a death threat made by John Capriotti against Danny Mackey. Can we also, though, temper that a bit? The word death threat kind of give him flesh in that, like, he wasn't going to go out and kill someone. You know, like, he's, there, there was a confrontation in front of each other, and they're like, he's like, I'm going to kill you. I mean, I think, yes, it's a death threat, technically, but it's also not, like, it's something said, uh, passionate. Like, I don't want to give the wrong impression to w- what was said there. Obviously, I'm not trying to minimize it, but, like, just to give a little context, because when death threat, people are like, what the hell, some Nike guy was going to, like, do a hit on somebody? So just a little context there. Well, I, I think you could say that about anything, you know, Alberta yelling at, at Mary or something like that. I mean, it was a death threat. He said, I'm going to kill you. That's a death threat. Nike supposedly did its own investigation of that and hired a firm. And I think that the, the employees, well, of course, the Nike employees denied that it happened. So, that, you know, they washed their hands of it. So, you know, I, I'm glad. I, I do think Kane and the New York, through the New York Times, were able to put public pressure on Nike. And they're much more aware of, and, and, you know, it's just, we're becoming much more of a woke society in general. They're going to have to treat women better. Hopefully they do. But I, I think that this pretty much went how we expected. Of course, Kane didn't participate. And of course, Nike sort of, you know, did release it. They could say they did something and, and you know, people are going to move on. Well, speaking of Mary Kane investigations, she spoke to the media and I was in that group for 18 minutes after the race. Mary's got a platform now and she's using it, which is great. But sort of, we learned some new stuff. And for the first time, Mary expressed a big regret she has from her time at the Oregon Project, besides what happened to her personally. So we got some audio on that. I'm going to tell a really honest story and I'm going to try not to get emotional as I tell it. Um, but after my own experience as a young pro, or at least a young person who was on you know, the pro scene, um, there is one life regret that I have with everything that I went through, and that was that there was one um, younger athlete who uh, joined the Oregon Project after I did. Um, she was a girl from Japan, and I could go into a whole spiel about it, but she joined the year that I moved home to New York um, to like, try to get over my eating disorder, and I never said anything. I never warned her. Um, I never even admitted to her what I was currently going through. Um, and in a lot of ways, it was because selfishly I was still trying to stay on the team. And even though I knew that it was, um, just to put it bluntly, a dangerous environment for a young athlete that I was in, um, I think I was in such self denial that I. I <laughs> I let her join that team, and um, that's really one of my biggest regrets because she went through something very similar to I did, um, and we continued talking kind of after she left the team. Um, I reached out to her a bunch of times on Instagram. Her Instagram uh, isn't up anymore. I haven't heard from her in a while. Ever since my story came out, I've been kind of looking for her. Because I just wanted to say I'm sorry. Um, And for me, um, my biggest thing is I don't want there to be another Nozomi. And if I can stop that, um, I won't be a coward anymore. And even if I don't know the athlete, even if I don't know the program that they're on, um, I will always be there as an advocate for you. And so I think it's the least I can do to you know, really be a sounding board whenever I can, um, because I can't, 
never forgive myself for not being brave in the past. Pretty emotional audio by Mary. And I'm not sure even like where to begin in, in, in talking about it. One, like, you know, with this Nike investigation, did they t- talk to Ozomi? And she was the Olympic youth 3000 meter champ. She really hasn't done that much since. But one, Nozomi's not, hasn't spoken out about this. So like, we can't really tell her story. But I, I can't really blame Mary too much if she felt like she was in such a vulnerable place for speaking out. But of course, she's going to have regrets if she felt like she caused someone else to suffer, be harmed or whatever. But I kind of wish we knew a little bit more like what this report found about the treatment of women when the project besides Mary's case, because also if Mary's not there, Mary may not, unless Nozomi told her, how's Mary going to know exactly what happened? And it sounds like, the, it sounds like Nozomi hasn't spoken to Mary. Once Mary went public, it sounds like Nozomi sort of has gone off social media entirely and hasn't had any contact with Mary. So uh, that, that may not represent anything, maybe just a coincidence, but there's more to be there. Talk about putting undue pressure on someone. This is a great idea. Let's take a teenage girl from Japan who probably may or may not speak English, have her move to the United States and train her about Alberto Salazar. Like, where are the adults in the room? But, you know, I think this shows this. This happens. Mary feels bad because she didn't stand up as a young person for other people. She realizes when she was there, she let other people be mistreated. And th- but this is normal. I appreciate her for acknowledging this, but think about how many people have received hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars from Nike, like Mary did, and just have looked the other way while sort of things that should not happen have happened, whether it be the doping by all the Nike athletes, whether it be just John Capriati running that place like he's a a dictator. So, But Robert, come on. I mean, I think it's a little bit different. Doping from all the athletes was you proof that Nike itself was doping athletes and these other athletes know it, that's not really something they can stop, even if they think something was going on. But in this instance, if you were in a situation you felt was unsafe, it's a little more direct step to try to warn someone. But I'm not placing that burden on Mary. But I think it's a reminder all of us and Mary's saying like, hey, people, if you're in a bad situation, do what's right. Do what's right. And I thought it was interesting how Mary referred to herself as the cowardly Mary Kane. The cowardly Mary Kane wouldn't have run the race at the army because she wouldn't have get, wouldn't have gotten beat. She wouldn't have wanted her ego to suffer. So I think Mary's pretty harsh in some ways that she didn't speak up, but there were huge power imbalances, right? Like she's a high school kid under Alberto. So how Mary was treated, I mean, there's power imbalances with Kara Goucher and stuff, but when you're a high school kid and the person paying your bills is all powerful and has carte blanche to do at Nike, it's probably harder to say anything. Much harder. Right. Mary's showing incredible maturation. She's only 23. To, when you're 23, you don't really, it's hard to acknowledge that you were not that mature when you were in high school or whatever. So I think it's amazing. Final thing on Mary Kane. After she spoke, I went up to her and essentially apologized to her because I know she, some difficult, terrible things were said about her on Let's Run when she was in high school. And I was like, look, Mary. I'm just sorry that those things are on there and said to you and, you know, we want to do better with the moderating. And she appreciated it and said, yeah, like you guys need to do better. You guys do great. Your content's amazing, but I think the boards are in a safe space for a lot of people and it needs to be. The pain she's gone through, I don't want that on anyone. And we definitely 10 years ago, I mean, I think we're doing better day in, day out, but what she went through and just, there's never been a runner like her. If you're going to, uh, I just can't imagine reading crap about me as a high schooler. 
And we just spent 10 minutes talking about Caitlin too, who's a high schooler. So I just think when you're that prominent, it's, that's the way it's going to happen. But I'm glad that you, you took that time to, to talk to her, Weldon. But John wanted to know what most struck me on the weekend. I went with something a little bit negative. Let's talk about what most impressed me on the weekend, John. In terms of, of the two big meets, I, I think I was very impressed by um, Bryce Hopple. 217 in the thousand at the New Balance Indoor Grand Prix. He gets the victory. You know, I know he was fourth in the world in the 800. So I mean, <laughs> let's remember that Bryce Hopple, fourth in the world in the 800. So he's pretty damn good. But I didn't really know how he would extend to the to to the 1000. I mean, he only ran it a handful of times. His college PR was 234 in the 1,000. So his PR in the 1,000 was 234 coming into this race. Now he had run like a 345, 1,500. But to see him extend up to the 1,000, get the victory in a hard-fought race was impressive to me. Shows that his training is going well, and we can expect big things from him in 2020. Bryce, Hold on. Bryce Hopple ran 1,000 meters in college in 234. This seems ins- he was he was really good in high school, right? That's not very good for a college runner to run two thirty four in the thousand. I guess he might have been a freshman. Did he win it, John? Did he win that race? Oh, he did win that race. He was a freshman. He won it. All right. Yeah, he, that that gets gets to my point. Well, then this thing struck me after watching him come back on Jake Whiteman at the end of this race. Bryce Hopple's just a winner. This guy goes out and he just has a nose for the finish line. He knows what to do. He doesn't panic. If you watch this one, he sat back from the rabbit and then he got past Solo Donez of Spain and Jake Whiteman, both sort of blew by him with just under two laps to go. And Hopple, Ordonez cut in kind of quickly. And so Hopple kind of had to lose his momentum a little bit. And I'm like, oh, is he just going to, how will he respond? You know, is he, this is a January race. Does he even care? And he was still pretty far back. Like, even with just over 100 meters to go, he was in third. But then he makes a move around Odonez. And then I see him like, oh, he's closing on Whiteman. He could get there. And he just times it perfectly. He runs him down in the home straight. You could tell he, you know, he was tired. He, he was definitely working hard. But he got there. And Jake Whiteman was fifth in the world in the 1500 last year. He's, he's no slouch either. Bryce Hopple, really impressive race. And 217.41... It's the third fastest time ever for an American. And now, granted, it's the indoor 1,000, so it's not exactly, you know, the outdoor 1,500 there, but he definitely impressed me, and they were talking to him afterwards, like, yeah, what are your goals? Lewis Johnson asked him, and he's like, I want an Olympic medal. And if you're fourth in the world and you got the Olympics next year, that makes sense. So Bryce Hopple, definitely one of my winners for the weekend. Can I just apologize to Jake Whiteman? My God, fifth in the world? I had no idea. (laughs) That's pretty amazing. If he was an American, we would have noticed a little bit more, but how good that was. But there was another impressive mid-D, 800%. Wait, 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 wait. we got to stay in Hopple for a second. I mean, it was an amazing comeback. And an th- indoor 1,000 of two guys pass you after you've been leading, especially if you're an 800 guy. I mean, Whiteman's got more endurance than him, right? He's a 1,500 guy, fifth in the world. He gets passed. And I was like, oh, wow, that was a good run. But, like, oh, he's he's not winning this thing. I mean, I thought, no way. And Hopple has that, like – just desire to win. I just was thinking about this. I'm like, wait, we didn't talk about Kobe. And this is going to be a crazy analogy, but like Kobe was kind of controversial for a lot of things, even though, you know, outside of basketball, ignoring those, but even on the basketball court, people think, Oh, he's a ball hog. He shoots too much. His advanced stats aren't that good. But 
the guy was just the fiercest competitor. I mean, there was no denying it. All these other opposing coaches are coming out, and the guy's will to win. We underestimate this. Oh, everybody wants to win. But certain guys, you see it at another level. And I think Bryce has that. Yeah, let's move on to another guy who impressed me, also an American 800-meter runner. He was not running the 800 in Boston. He ran the 600. That's Donovan Brazier. Now, we all knew he was going to win this race, but really what impressed me more was his mindset. He ran 114.39. That's the second fastest time ever in the indoor 600 after his world best of 113.77 last year at USA's. And when he crossed the finish line, he was not very impressed with himself. And he comes through in the mixed zone. He's like, yeah, I was kind of disappointed. You know, fans all wanted me to put on a show and I didn't get out hard enough that first 300 and I, I cost myself a world best. And I was like, that's a, that's such a high bar to set for yourself though. And he's like, yeah, it is. But, you know, I, I want to keep getting better. And this is a guy who just broke the American record of won the world title last year at the age of 22. And he's like, look, that's great. I'll always have that win, but... I want to keep getting better. I, I There's way more for me to accomplish in the sport. I want to run faster. I want to win more races. He says he wants to retire with more professional victories than defeats, which in a tra- as a track racer, that's really hard to do. But right now he's got 17 wins and 14 losses. So he's on pace to do it. And, you know, he's going to be favored in pretty much every race he runs this year. So just the... He does not seem like one of those guys, Donovan Brazier, who is just going to rest on his laurels. And I think that's easier to do when you're the world champion going into an Olympic year as opposed to sort of the Olympic champion coming off that or world title going into an off year. But he just Brazier's mindset and mentality, I think, really you know, won me over this weekend. And let's don't talk, forget about another US 800-meter runner, Isaiah Harris, who made Worlds... He made it in 2017, and then 2019, He, I think he would have had a decent shot to make it if he hadn't been hurt. He could have been he could have been the fourth guy if USATF had done their rules correctly because the Diamond League gave us a fourth person. It was Brandon Kidder instead, but and Harris was running better than Harris, Kidder at the end of the season. Anyways, he ran at the New York meet, got the win in like 148-0-something. So, folks, he's running well. Brazier's running well. Hopple's running well. That's three people. There's only three on the Olympic team last time I checked. And there is somebody else, a U.S., former U.S., well, I shouldn't say former star, but there's another 800-meter runner, Clayton Murphy. Remember him, John? 2009. He made the World Championship final last year. I mean, it's not like— Last year. And he, of course, won an Olympic medal in 2016, coming off of college— so he's an Olympic medalist. You think, wow, this is his chance to win gold. He ran the mile this weekend. He was terrible. He runs 403. Sixth place in the race. It was it was only a 359 race, but that is not good. He's lost his coach. Salazar's gone. He's returned back to the to his college coach, who is the guy who coached him to the Olympic medal. So nothing wrong there. But I don't know. Like one of those four men is not going to be on the Olympic team. And that's why the Olympic trials are so great is we have a good when events where we have like four or five good guys and someone has to miss out. It makes it so exciting. Yeah. Murphy, not a great race for him. And he admitted that. But, you know, he's a guy who who in the past has taken defeats really hard. And I was he was actually surprisingly sort of circumspect after this race. And he said he's only really been doing tough workouts for the last three weeks. This one, he had no idea where he was going to be. He hadn't done any time trials or anything you know, really to 
tell him what he was going to run in this race. And he's like, yeah, it was easy the first half, but we weren't really running that fast. And the second half, I just didn't have it. I think the toughest thing for him, though, is he tr- he switched to Alberto Salazar at the start of the 2018 season. And he won the U.S. title that year, but he also said, you know, it took him a little bit to get used to Salazar's training and have it work for him. And I think he was starting to find that after 2019. And yes, his world championship race, he was awful there. But the rest of 2019, he's pretty consistently good on the Diamond League circuit. And he's finally starting to figure it out, this, this training under Salazar. And now he suddenly is not allowed to work with Salazar. He has to go back to Lila Beatty, under whom he had a lot of success. He said it was sort of like catching up with an old friend, returning to working with Labadee. But at the same time, he had spent the past two years getting used to Salazar's training, and now he has to sort of reset and go back to what he was doing before. It's not what you want to be doing heading into an Olympic year. So you sort of feel for Clayton in there. But he is a really talented guy. He's usually a good racer when he when he's in shape. So... I think, you know, I'll judge him based on his outdoor... This wasn't a good start, and I, you know, if we if he was going for the world indoor team, well, actually, that's a whole different can of worms, because who even knows who's going to be trying to make that? But not a great race, but, I, you know, I'm not going to write him off after one bad race. It's interesting with Murphy to me in the sense of there's kind of this perception that he hasn't been nearly as good as he used to be in recent years. You know, he ran the Olympic medal 142.93 in 2016, and then I kind of think, eh, what's he done since? Each of the last three years, he's run 143, 143, 60 in 2017, 143, 12 in 2018, and 143, 94 in 2019. So he's been running pretty good. It's just the fact that, um, you know, I think that the fact that in 2017, he tried the 800, 1500 double of the USA championships and ended up not making the team, which really dampened things there. Speaking of 800, guys, this is a world indoor years. Or, well, it may be a World Indoor Year. It's supposed to be a World Indoor Year. We could talk about that in a minute, but the World Indoor Championships, I'm betting they get canceled or moved out of China. I mean, it's, it seems like almost 100% likely that's the case. It's amazing the talent the U.S. has had at the 800 on the men's and women's side recently. But I was just thinking of two other names. Boris Berrien, gold medal, 2016 World Indoors. Drew Wendell, silver medal, 2018 World Indoors. And I was like, what the hell happened to those guys? All right, I'm going to try to put Robert on the spot. Robert, did either of those guys ever make the Olympics? Well, definitely not for Barry What are you talking about? He was an Olympic finalist. Exactly. I was shocked. Definitely not for Barry I just was shocked. I was like, yeah, he won the World Indoors. I guess he didn't make the Olympic team that year. He's an Olympic finalist. I can't believe it. 2016 Olympic finalist. He's been hurt pretty much ever since. He has some results in 2018. That was it. And Drew Wendell, Drew Wendell's outdoor PR, I mean, for Americans, isn't that fast anymore. 144, I think six. I joke that Wendell sort of, ever since he started the race, ran the race in Shanghai with the sunglasses on his head, (laughs) it's been downhill since then. The curse of the sunglasses. Well, all right, so Drew made the world team in 2017. We got to remember that. And... Then you always you know there's going to be some college kid is going to come out of the woodwork, and I don't think it really counts for Devin Dixon as coming out of the woodwork. He's a guy who's already run 144. He was the NCAA runner-up last year, but there's definitely going to be some college kid who inserts himself into the conversation at the trials as well. So men's 800 that might be the event of the trials, uh, at least in January. At this point, that's going to be really exciting. 
And actually, we're going to get a preview because in two weeks, at well, less than two weeks now, at Milrose, Harris, uh, Brazier, and Hopple are all racing the 800 against each other. And Michael Cerrone, who ran... 143 there last year. That is going to be a fantastic race at Milrose. Wait, John, you left off Saruni, who's like... I just said Saruni. Number two ever, so it's... Say it again. People, being an ex-New Yorker, the Armory is my... It's my, uh... It's still my, my indoor track. It's the official indoor track of Letron.com. Oh, I forgot to say, did you guys see what I tweeted out? I had the number one media spot. I was all proud of myself. Oh, I saw that. Yeah, usually for the Milrose games, we get sort of shifted towards the back. Uh, not that I'm sitting there and watching the meets anyway, but... I think, I'm not sure the New York Times actually showed up, so... Yeah. Th- you know, they could give us a good spot, but I kind of laugh, because y- usually we don't mind. They're like, at Worlds sometimes, they're like, hey, you guys are younger, we're putting you upstairs, because so, we know you guys can run up and down the stairs and stuff, but... Milrose has got some great matchups, but that I don't think there's anyone better than that men's 800... So, Saruni, the second fastest guy ever indoors, versus Brazier, versus Hopple, versus Murphy? Harris. Am I missing someone? Murphy's not running at Harris's. Yeah, Harris. So, crazy 800. Also at Milrose, just announced, Nico Young, the NXN champion in dominant fashion. He is going to be running the men's pro 3K. And there's also Edwin Cargart from Iowa State, the NCAA champion. That's He's not a pro either, but you've got the NCAA champion and the NXN champion squaring off. And Nico said he's going for the not just the U.S. indoor high school record of 759 by Drew Hunter, but 756 is the under-20 U.S. indoor record. That's Chris Derrick from 2009. So that's going to be exciting to see him go for the, that time against a field of pros. Yep, February 8th, get your tickets. We gave so much love to the U.S. men's 800 crew. How about the U.S. women? I mean, A.G. Wilson, another victory, kind of in a modest time. I mean, how many times? Ajay, excuse me, Ajay Wilson. And get it right in 2020. I didn't even have to correct you this time, Robert. This is great. Yeah, well, speaking of corrections, I would like to make a, 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 a correction. I think Walton last week said Teruku Bekile. I think it's Teruku. Anyways. Side point, but she wins, you know, what Audrey does every time except when it's the 2019 World Championship final, wins the race, Ho-Hom 202. Now, what was interesting to me was this was originally hyped as an Ajay Wilson, Ajay Wilson, Raven Rogers battle between the two medalists from Worlds. The training partners were supposed to both race in this race. Then all of a sudden, Raven wasn't in the race. But I did notice, looking at perusing through race results weekly, Raven did run in Boston at the Terrier Classic, and she ran a thousand there in two thirty nine. Actually, beat a two hundred one Canadian in the race. So two thirty nine is probably like two flat two hundred one in the eight hundred. So it's you know pretty good performance. But I just thought it was interesting. They clearly were going to race each other, and then for some reason they decided not to. So, but the the women's eight hundred is going to be tough too because you've got those two who won medals at Worlds. You've got Hannah Green who won a Diamond League race this year, and then you've got Sierra Brown who is also a one fifty eight performer. So again. One of those four is not going to be on the Olympic team. Okay, one other quick uh, observation I sort of had from Milrose, not from Milrose, from the Dr. Sander invite. Nikki Hiltz won the mile there, as expected, in 429. I just think the woman who got second behind her, BYU's Whitney Orton, she deserves a shout-out because she, you know, I don't think she... The last lap, she was close. Like, Hiltz, you would kind of expect the 401 woman, the world championship finalist, 
to blow away a collegian, and Whitney Orton held her own. She set a BYU school record. She ran 429, which is an NCAA leader, and this is someone who, you know, she has good strength. She ran 15.22 for 5K in December. She got seventh in NCAA cross. It's going to be interesting to see how she develops, but she's probably, you know, the, the favorite in the mile at the NCAAs right now, and it, it, just a good run for her coming out to the East Coast. Yeah, to show how far Nikki Hiltz came last year, I think that was a mile PR for her indoors. But, you know, she made the world championship final last year. So they were also building a good group out there in, I think, in San Diego, Mission AC. Nicole Hutchinson, who won the 3Ks, kind of like, you know, Hiltz is the, the standard bearer in the group now, but they're all coached by Terrence Mahan. So kind of starting to, it'd be nice to have a full fledged, another top-notch group in America. And I mean, Hutchinson's Canadian, but that group is definitely emerging. And real quick, you guys mentioned Raven Rogers and Ajay. Ajay said she actually at one point wanted to run the mile herself at the Dr. Sander, but she got sick in December. So she dropped down to the 800. And I was asking her like, Hey, you know, Raven beat you one time ever, but it was at the world's last year. Are you going to do anything differently this year? And she's like, I'm getting asked that question a lot, but I've analyzed it now and thought about it. I'm very confident what I've done in the past. I just had a bad race at, at the wrong time. Uh, um, you know, it sounded like she wants to keep doing what she's going to keep doing. So I think that's the right approach. She was unbeatable the rest of the whole rest of the season. And if she had run up to her potential, I think she would have won that race. It was a long season. If it, I don't think it was broken, I wouldn't fix it if I were her. While we're talking women's middle distance, how about the winner of the mile at the New Balance Indoor Grand Prix meet? Was Jessica Hole of Australia, four hundred four fourteen. I mean, that's a pretty quick indoor opener, in my opinion. She beats Coster uh, and I guess they're training partners now, and they're now you know they used to be in the Nike Oregon project. They're with Pete Julian. That group still doesn't have a name, but um, you know, four hundred four uh, impressed me this early. And I know Hole ran ended up running four hundred one at the World Championship semis. She ran four hundred one eighty. And didn't make the final. How crazy is that? But just think back to, to last year's NCAAs. I mean, she was like, what, the reigning NCAA champion, right, John, going into NCAA outdoors? But her PR was for only 409. She runs like 406 mid and doesn't win, make it second, but was thrilled to make the world championship standard. So not that long ago, she was excited to run 406. Then she runs 401, and now she's opening up in 404. So she's just, I mean, much more consistent and um, at, at, at a much higher level now that she's a pro. But f- again, think about this for a second. 401.80, and that placed her eighth. It wasn't that long ago, like when Morgan Euseny was the number one 1,500-meter runner in the world, and Morgan never broke four flat. Yeah, pretty crazy stuff. But Hull, she said she needs to be fit this time of year because she's Australian, and she is running both the 5,000 and the 1,500 at the Australian Trials. There are two separate meets. So the Melbourne Track Classic, which is, uh, I think, next week, she's running the 5,000 there to, to try to make the in the Australian 5,000 Trials. And then she's going to be flying back to the U.S. for some more training and then flying to... She was planning on flying to Nanjing for World Indoors. We don't know if that's going to happen anymore. And then fly back to Australia at the end of... March for their regular Olympic trials in the 1500. So she needs to be fit right now. And it's kind of interesting, Australia, the way they do it, they have their trials really early because that's at the end of the Australian summer when most of the local athletes are racing there. But for 
the truly, truly elite athletes who have dreams of making the world championship final or winning a medal at the world championships, or sorry, the Olympic final or Olympic medals, that's pretty early to be like sort of peaked for. And then you have, you have to sort of take some a break. It's just an interesting sort of dynamic that they have to navigate. Whereas the U S trials are only about a month, a month and a half before the Olympics. But yeah, she has a bright season ahead of her, I would say. And I don't think she has anything to worry about. I, mean, I was looking at the list here. I mean, she, she ran 15 flat in the 5,000 last year. The next closest Australian was 1520. And then, and, and, and the, uh, you know, the 1500, it, it, you know, it could be a little bit more dicey. I mean, Lyndon Hall has run four flat, 0.86. I think that was in 2018. But, you know, she's still, I think, going to make either team. I mean, Lyndon Hall ran 404 last year, so it was three seconds better than anybody else there. Well, we're talking about Australians. There was one who ran well at the Dr. Sander invite, Jordan Guzman. He's a 10-minute elite guy. He's not Australian, Weldon. He runs for Malta. He 100% is Australian. He's an Australian citizen um, and now runs for Malta, but he's i mean, he's still Australian. There's no question. He calls it home, and he chose to run for Malta because of his grandfather. He's you know of Maltese descent. His grandfather moved to Australia, and Jordan said he'd always talked with his grandfather about running for Malta, Jordan thought maybe later in his career, but his grandfather died last year, and so Jordan represented Malta. What's that meet called? It's like... It was like the games of the small states of Europe or something. Yeah, I was about to say, small states games. Um, and there's no looking back, because I don't know the exact rules, but you can't just switch back to Australia. But Jordan said, look, I'm getting a lot more support from Malta. I assume that means money. Um, but and he trains with Tinman Elite of Canada. So now Jordan has the Maltese flag and the Tinman Elite tattoo on his legs. That was the most shocking thing I saw from that interview is that he has trained with Tinman Elite for less than a year and he already got their logo tattooed on his leg. Like he's basically just locked in. Like what if what if Nike comes in with some big contract and he starts doing really well and they're like, "Hey, we want you to try to train with the Bauman Track Club or, you know, he or if he gets like he grows disenchanted or injured and wants to move elsewhere, but he's got this Tin Man logo on his, you know, leg. I just think that's it's a pretty bold commitment to be making less than one year into t- training with a group. This group, yeah. Hey, it's like uh, freshman year of college, or not my freshman year. Matt Taylor, founder of Tracksmith, was on my Yale team, and I swear, like a couple weeks in, he shows up with a bulldog tattoo. Maybe when school starts. And his big buddy went to run for Duke, got a Blue Devil tattoo. We're like, wow, you guys are all in. The other guy, I think, was going to quit the team in about six months, but I guess he was still a Blue Devil. College is a little bit different. As long as you don't transfer schools, you know, you can have that tattoo. But training groups sort of come and go. But it was also kind of crazy. Jordan said he just – Instagram is now a way these groups recruit people. He's like, yeah, I saw the guys on Instagram, liked what they did, and kind of called up and said, hey, I'm interested. And they're like, hey, come on out. See if you like it. So – He's running very well. He he pulled away like, I don't know, I'm going to say 800 to go, mid-race, maybe even before that. And some guys tried to run him down at the end, but it was a very strong and confident move. And the other crazy thing, this is a, we should give a shout-out to this. I'd never heard of something like this. He had never stepped on an indoor track until the day of the race. I was like, oh, you did strides the day before. He goes, no, my plane got in late last night. 
So he shows up, never run an indoor track in his on in his life. So this is banked. It seems like it'd be very hard to do. I would totally expect him to run like shit. And instead he goes out and wins 3K. If you're fast, you're fast. Let's let's talk about another interesting development. I'm kind of shocked it took us this long to get here. Edward Cesarek. The news was broken last week that he is going to try to run for Kenya for World Indoors and for the Olympics this year. Big development. He's been trying, as everyone knows, to get U.S. citizenship for the last few years. And unsuccessfully, He's I, I don't know if he's still in that process or not, but he hasn't been able to get it, and he certainly wouldn't have been able to get it in time for the United States Olympic trials this year. So he's going to try to run for Kenya. I think he's got a pretty decent shot. Uh, you know, you look at some of his times from previous years, I think, you know, when Kenya wasn't, they're starting to develop a little bit better now in the 5,000, but certainly 2016, they didn't have any Olympic finalists. 2017, they had one world championship finalist. I think either of those years, if he'd been healthy, he could have made the final at those global championships. So it's going to be interesting to see whether he, you know, first of all, if there is a world indoors, if he makes that team. Uh, he got blown out by Bethwell Bergen in, in the 3K in Boston, but he still ran 746, so not that many Kenyans run indoors. That might be good enough. Then outdoors, he'll have to go out there for their trials, and I think it's good he's now based in Flagstaff because they'll get ready for, you know, if he's competing at elevation in their trials. But it's going to be very interesting to follow his process, uh, his season this this summer. Very interesting there, John. When you opened the show, you said he want, used the word once. He wants to compete for Kenya. And then just now you said tries. I think tries is the accurate thing. Yeah, sorry. I, I Did I say once at the start? That's not what I – yeah. Yeah. And I think this is a very interesting development. Guys, this is a guy that has wanted – he's been living in the U.S. for – Almost 10 years now. Almost 10 years. He wanted to run for the U.S. He can't get the citizenship. And he really has no other option. I mean, if he wants to run – in the Olympics, he's missing the prime of his career. I think about how hard it would be to train if you couldn't go to the Olympics or Worlds. It's just like, what are you training for? And we kind of joked in the past, he's the king of running fast when nobody's paying attention because you know, he gets he geared up for the indoor season. So now he has something to train for, which is good. But, you know, I, I just, I don't know. I, I guess he can't, with, with the change of allegiance, John, could he ever switch back to the U.S.? Let's say he gets citizenship and... I know they tighten up the restrictions. It would be at least, I think, about three years after running to, to switch, switch citizenship, and that would just be burning. He's already lost three years, essentially, of trying to run internationally, so I don't think he'd want to lose another three. And that's going to bring me to Rojo rant number two of the podcast. So it came out the day before the race that he'd be running for Kenya. They didn't really send out a press release. Just Stephen Haas said that he was his agent was trying that he was trying to get a world indoor qualifier. And people were like, wait a minute, why are you getting a world indoor qualifier? And then I think he confirmed to Chris Chavez that you know he was going to run for Kenya. So there was no press release that he'd be running for Kenya. And maybe Edward didn't want to do that because he really wanted to run for the U.S. But then after the race, Jonathan asked him about the race and then asked the obvious question like, "Hey, you're switching over to Kenya. You've announced you're running for Kenya." And then Edward doesn't even let it go to a question. Like he just walks off and storms off. And I just, I, I don't understand this. Like, how can he not be prepared for this question? So again, Saturday, we're celebrating Christmas with the in-laws. We had a date night with the wife. I went to a movie. I come back and there's all these texts about how Cheswick stormed off. And I'm like, oh, wow. Did, did John ask him an inappropriate question or try to do gotcha journalism? And then I watched the video. I was like, 
this is the most basic, obvious question. It wasn't gotcha journalism. It was like just the start of the interview. And he wasn't ready for it. And he stormed off. And I thought to myself, you know, Jonathan, guys, if you haven't been to the website this last week, Jonathan has a three-part series, thousands of words on how to turn pro in track and field. And he talks about agents and you sign with an agent. And are they worth their 15% of your of your contract? And this week, Edward Cheswick's agency let him down. How they didn't have him prepared for this question is beyond me. I mean, like, of course he's going to be asked about this. How can you not be ready to answer this? Now, he may not, it might be tough for him to answer it because I think deep down, I think they could have done a really good job. They could actually become, they could get all the Trump haters on his side. I don't think, although I'm not sure Trump really has anything to do with it because it took Sam Chalanga five years to get his citizenship too. But he could say, you know what, I, I, I've been living in this country for close to a decade. I desire nothing more than to run for the United States of America, but they won't let me be a citizen. I'm going to have to run for Kenya. That would have been very powerful. Now, he may not have wanted to do that because then the Kenyans would see it. And the way Kenya picks the team is sometimes not that objective. Sometimes it's a little bit subjective. Maybe he pissed people off. And maybe he's upset. Who knows? Maybe the contract's different if he doesn't make the U.S. team versus the Kenya team. I can understand why he's upset, but I just think this was handled abysmally from a PR perspective. Yeah, and I look, I have sympathy for him. Obviously, he's been in a, this isn't an easy situation. He can't do what he wants to do, and I know there's frustration there, but I think you have to understand that's a question you're going to be asked. I think he could have handled it better, but if he doesn't want to talk about it, which clearly he doesn't, it's very sensitive. I, you know, I, as a journalist, I would have preferred no comment, but it's up to it's his prerogative. No one ever forces people to stop in the mix zone if they don't want to talk. So I don't know. Well, I think one athletes should be forced to stop. I mean, NBA and stuff has it like, or say some comments, uh, PR and, and engaging with the press is part of it. Obviously, you don't have to answer questions you don't want to answer, so just no comment. And the whole thing is a bit, I don't know if sad is the right word, but it's clear. Edward wants to be a U.S. citizen. I think this clearly means his citizenship is way, not anywhere in the pipeline. And if I think it was a New York Times piece from a few years ago. I feel like this wasn't – I don't know how easy it is for someone who goes to school here. He came here in high school, so it's a little bit different to get citizenship, but – for the rest of us who are citizens, I think a lot of us just take it for granted. The guy clearly wants to be a citizen. I think this means this isn't happening anytime soon. And his only option, if he wants to complete internationally in, say, the next four years or so, is to run for Kenya. So it is what it is. And at a personal level, it's got to be very hard for Edward. And he, he didn't like talking about it in the past. And, John, you'd ask him about in the past, and he'd sort of give him no comment and I think Edward doesn't he doesn't handle questions he doesn't like or when he doesn't run that well. Um, you know, engaging with him one on one, he's a great guy, but just uh, some people just hate losing when he hates losing. But now the situation changed. Of course, you're going to ask him about it. But hey, uh, yeah, I think he could just say like, I, I really want to be a U.S. citizen. That's not going to happen. So, uh, you know, I'm really proud of being Kenyan. I'm Kenyan and. That's what it's going to be. Yeah, it's hard to do, though, because in the case of Kenyan, he's going to get flack either way. Some people in Kenya are going to gripe. But, yeah, if he says that I'm proud of my Kenyan heritage, I'm going to run for them now, I think he could, you know, there's a way to do it right. But it just needs a You can a little... have love for more than one country. I love the United States. I love United Kingdom. I, I'm from both of those places. I think people like when Leo Manzano took that victory lap and he had the Mexican flag, people criticized him. But I think it's just... You know, and I think it's just absurd to say just because you love one country, you can't other love another country. Some people 
have more than one country in their, as part of their heritage. And I think you should be allowed to embrace that. I know. And speaking of such, Jonathan Galt said Jordan Guzman is not Australian. So I think we need John to declare himself in terms of being a journalist and representing the country right now. Are you American or British? I'm both. I have dual citizenship. Well, then. I, the beauty of this is I don't have to choose. No, you must pick. You forced Jordan Guzman to pick. He has dual citizenship. No, I, I, I was, I was, I was inappropriate there. You can be, you can have, you can be Maltese in Australia, and you can love both countries. I don't think it's. I was sort of probably out of line there. Problem is, this shows like with sports, right? You can't be both. You have to pick. Whereas, like, it's it's a terrible analogy, actually. But like the gender divisions, there's two divisions. You're one or the other for competing. Yeah, that's a little. That's a little you know maybe not appropriate analogy but no well like the world cup for soccer i'm england 100 percent. my dad would disown me first of all if i didn't root for england but it's you know the, for stuff like that you can't you have to choose but for like culture you can say i get parts of my culture i celebrate the fourth of july but i also like celebrating you know english holidays and that sort of thing you don't have to choose, John. You can have several teams in the World Cup. Why can't you support England and the U.S.? They rarely play each other. I have several NFL teams. I root for the Cowboys until they inevitably don't make the playoffs, and then I root for the Ravens. And- That's a loser mentality. You, you get one team in the pro sports leagues, one team in the World Cup. Okay, John, if you were an athlete, let's say we do pay for your two-year sabbatical to make the Olympic trials or try to make the, you know, which team would you compete for in the Olympics? Track and field. I assume it's, if it's soccer, you try to go England World Cup. But I see an England flag in the back of your room right now. But assuming you were not good enough to make the England World Cup team and you were a good soccer professional soccer player, I'm assuming you would eventually play for the U.S. Like if they offered you a spot. If I was good enough to play for the U.S. and not good enough to play for England, I'd probably play for the U.S. But if I was good enough to play for the U.S., I would probably have the confidence that I could get good enough to eventually play for England and make it to the Premier League. But let's turn it to track and field, John. You wake up tomorrow. I've put something in your drink. I've talked to Alberto. You wake up, and for some reason, you're in 1252 shape. Probably probably United Kingdom. I mean, Great Britain and Northern Ireland. Just because that was who I grew up rooting for in the Olympics. That's who, you know, my dad's a big sports fan. That's who we always supported at the Olympics. So I don't root for countries now at the Olympics as a journalist, but... That, that I don't know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind running for the U.S. I feel like I'm a bigger. Po- I grew up in the as a runner in the United States and looking at those guys. So I followed the American running scene more closely than the British running scene. But probably, I'd probably be Great Britain. But it'd be a tough decision. That's the problem with the media right now. The fake news in the media. John says he doesn't root for people. He's a human being. Of course, he's going to have allegiances. And you, John, you're telling me if the Patriots made the Super Bowl. And you had to cover them. You secretly wouldn't be rooting for them. Well, no, that that. Well, I'm not an NFL reporter. I'd have to think about that, you know. And I think now it's more common. You see media members actually having a rooting allegiance. It'd be tough to put that behind me. But if I'm working for the Globe, if I was covering the Patriots for the Globe, I would have to get rid of my Patriots. I couldn't be a Patriots fan anymore. If I was working for Let's Run.com covering the Super Bowl, I think I'd probably be able to... I wouldn't be openly cheering for them in the press box, but... I want them to win because you guys wouldn't make me strip my fandom. But like, I think in running, it's pretty easy to be an objective journalist. Like, okay, there are a couple, if you're a Dartmouth alum, like if I ran with you in college or like was friends with you in college, I probably want you to do, do well. But like, apart from that, most athletes, like 
I just I don't have a favorite, and it's in, in an individual sport. I feel like it's easier not to have a favorite as opposed to like a team sport where you have a team and a connection to that city. Okay, let, I let's we're going to go to the Super Bowl. I mean, remember, we- we'll we'll get to the Super Bowl eventually. I I want to talk about one other Flagstaff based runner who ran fast this weekend. Tyler Day, NAU. He ran at BU on Friday night. They had a race to try to get the Olympic standards. No one ended up getting it. Uh, Eric Jenkins fell a little short. He was sort of driving the pace and fell off at the end. Paul Tanui of Kenya, the Olympic silver medalist who's now training under Pete Julian, he got the win in 13-15, but the race of the night was Tyler Day of NAU. He runs 13-16 for second place. He becomes the fastest American collegian of all time indoors, removing Galen Rupp gets uh, his name taken out of the record books there. Rupp ran 13-18 back in 2009. That was an American indoor record as well at the time. Uh, it's since been broken a couple times. But Rupp, Rupp is taken down by a new a coach. So Galen Rupp, who's coached by Mike Smith, he gets kicked out of the record books by another guy who's coached by Mike Smith, Tyler Day. And this is the Dreams Become Reality segment of the week. Tyler Day, do you guys know his high school personal best for 1,600 meters and 3,200 meters? No. Robert, any guesses? No. 4.20 and 9.28. I was a faster high school two-miler than Tyler Day, and he ran 13.16. That's pretty incredible progression. I talked to Mike Smith about him a couple years ago. Just He's an Arizona kid, but he didn't grow up in, in Flagstaff, and he just he's a really big altitude responder. Obviously, he's worked hard the last couple of years as well. He set out the cross-country season because he didn't have eligibility, but... He said he was really excited. He didn't do as well in track as he wanted to last year, and this was sort of redemption for him. And now he's looking full steam ahead. He's probably, you know, I don't think he's going to make the Olympic team because the U.S. is pretty deep in the 5K, but he'll certainly make the trials, and who knows how much better he can get from here. If you're running 13-16 in January, he's sort of thinking, granted it's at BU, it's a race tailored for everyone to go fast, but he beat Eric Jenkins. He was hanging with the Olympic silver medalist, Paul Tanui. Like, Tanui didn't embarrass him by any means. So, very interested to see how Tyler Day does the rest of the season. And with NCAAs at altitude, it's going to be an interest in Albuquerque, it's going to be a very interesting showdown between Day and Edwin Kurgart, the NCAA cross-country champ. He ran 13-24 at BU in December. That is going to be one of the races of the meet. Speaking of Day, I think he's, according to Track and Field News list, He's this is the fifth fastest Indoor or outdoor, 5,000 time during the collegiate season. So very impressive. But guys, enough track talk. Let's talk about some marathons. There were a couple of them last week. We had Dubai. But what I want to talk about is something that has not gotten much publicity. The Osaka Women's Marathon in Japan. And this is really cool. Japan has a new Olympian. Mizuku Matsuda who was fourth in their grand, what was it called, John? Their Olympic trials is called the Marathon Grand Championship. Marathon Grand Championship. So normally you're fourth in Olympic trials. You're not going to the Olympics. But what Japan did was they said only the top two are guaranteed to go. Third will go unless somebody else breaks, and I think the time was 222 low for the women, and I think it's like 205.50. They need to break the national record on the men's side, which is 205.50. Yeah, but it wasn't a national record for the women. It was like 222 low. Anyways, Mizuka Masuto has won the Osaka women's race in 221.47. So she, as of now, is going to the Olympics. And Rio O'Hara, who was third at the trials, is not. O'Hara was actually in this race. It was interesting. 
she did run it. Um, she went out hard, not as hard as Matsuda. Matsuda went out in 69-54. O'Hara went out in 70-28. I guess she was trying to track her. But she blew up and ran 228-12. So tough for O'Hara, but pretty cool for Matsuda. So I, I love this. It's interesting. If someone runs faster than Matsuda at the Nagoya Marathon, which is the final race in this Japanese like series, they will kick Matsuda off the team and take third. So... It's a really interesting system. I think it'd be pretty cool. I like the US system. Like you just know with finality who's on the team and that battle for third is really important. But I, I do think this is an interesting way of drumming up interest in these other Japanese races. And you're going to see it again in Tokyo. So February 29th, it's not just the Olympic trials in the US, but that night, you know, technically the Tokyo Marathon is March 1st in Japan, but it's in the US. It's actually February 29th, the night of February 29th. It's on TV. So that's an amazing doubleheader for marathon fans. You get the US Olympic trials in the afternoon and the Tokyo Marathon in the evening. And the biggest story there, well, you've got Bahonu Legese, who's the defending champ coming back, and he ran 202 in Berlin. He's a stud. It's going to be interesting to see him run. But the biggest storyline there is Yuta Shitara, the former marathon national record holder in Japan is facing off against Suguru Osako, the current national record holder and the man who was third at the trials. And Osako will be fighting to defend his spot, whereas Shitara, if he breaks the national record, he's on the team. But he's told Brett Lana, or Brett Lana had an article on his site, saying that Shitara says, unless he runs 204, he won't be accepting his spot on the team. <laughs> because he's... Shitara, remember, this is the guy who went out, just totally went out really hard and tried to run super fast in the trials and blew up. But he, he's just a really unique runner, and he's like, yeah, that's just the high standard he's holding himself to, and you know, he needs to be in 204 shape to medal anyway, so he's basically saying he, he 205, if he runs 205.20 and breaks the national record, he's not going to take his spot. We'll see if he actually if he holds himself to that, but it's a pretty crazy proclamation. The other big marathon last weekend was the Standard Chartered Dubai Marathon. Now, it's not quite as big as it used to be because they cut the prize money from $200,000 for first place down to $100,000 last year. But still, the men's race ended up being pretty crazy. Nobody really was pushing it that fast. 11 men ended up kicking it home for the $100,000 first prize. This was crazy. I didn't think the commentators, I think we had Hutchings and Paul Ratka, but they didn't, they were, while they were excited about the, about the race, they weren't excited. They didn't point this out. Somebody was going to win a hundred grand and somebody, 11th place finisher was going to win zero. So, and first place goes to Alika. Adugna Bekila. I imagine none of you had ever heard of him. 206.15, he wins the $100,000. And the 11th place finisher was Bersha Ezekia, 206.34. He gets nothing. But to me, John, I mean, other than the mass finish, which was kind of interesting, the real storyline here was, to me, the women's race. Um, she won Dub She was second in Dubai last year. She wins Boston. And she wins Dubai again. I mean, she's really established herself as a very consistent performer, one of the top women marathoners in the world. Went out kind of hard, died a little bit, so 219.38, but held on for the win. Well, she was also battling a back issues in the second half of that race. I think she would have run faster if she hadn't sort of been cramping up and, you know, she didn't look great when she crossed the line. So she wasn't 100%. She had some injury issues and still ran 219. That's pretty crazy. She's also she's lining up in Boston in less than three months from now. Well, guys, do we have anything else we want to talk about? Or do we want to send everyone off into a last? What will happen, though? One thing that's going to be happening soon, and we haven't done it. 
We have mentioned Alberto Salazar, but we have not had our weekly Vapor Fight segment. I don't know if we want to have it, folks, but by this time next week, World Athletics is supposed to have issued a ruling on the shoes that will be allowed in 2020. Yeah, I think let's let's just hold a segment till next week, and we've got some more concrete stuff. There's speculations in the media. Some details are trickling out, but I think it's probably best to just wait until their announcement. No, let's let's go there real quickly. Oh, God, all right. I just think a few things. If they put some regulations in place and the Nike shoes are allowed and other companies can't come out with similar prototypes, that's a huge advantage for Nike. So we need to hopefully, I know if people listen to this, you need to think about that. A lot of times, like now, and uh, I'm aware of this because of digital advertising, some of the big players now are like, oh, yeah, for, we're, we're for regulation. We're all about protecting privacy. In reality, they have a huge business interest in putting down regulation because the smaller people can't compete with it. But we just need to be careful that we, cause we had said no prototypes, but really what we're about is a fair playing field for everybody. So I don't want someone if possible to be a bit disadvantaged because of what shoe company they run for. Yeah. I had said, you know, the rule is simple. You say the shoe has to be out by January 1st or something, but then we realized that would be a problem because Jared Ward's shoe is not out. So what it's been floated. We've seen some things behind the scenes that the ruling may be nothing that's out. You know, it has to be commercially available. Otherwise, you can't run in it, which would be actually the dumbest decision ever. Commercially available for four months. Which would be a disaster because it would actually just entrench the Nike advantage because the problem isn't prototypes. The problem is one type of shoe being better than ever other types of shoes. So if the competitors are playing catch-up, you need to let them play catch-up. The problem is... But, but to me, this is all an acknowledgement of, yes, there is un- – some people do have an unfair advantage in shoes. So I don't really care. I- I'm still looking for them to – instead of looking forward, let's look back and let's validate those 2016 Olympic marathon champions. I'm sorry, Galen Rupp. I'm sorry, Dalai Kipchoge. You were guilty of mechanical doping, whether you know it or not. Those rules need to be validated. And, folks, that's what I'm going to do today after this podcast. I will be writing that article. Look for it on ledgerun.com. I feel like you've already written that article five times, Robert. Does anyone really want to read that again? Wait, hasn't he already written that article? But everyone was waiting with their beers by hand, waiting for Robert <laughs> yeah. to call for the 2016 Olympic marathon trials to be invalidated. So drink up. Robert's de- on his deathbed. He's, his final words are going to be like, invalidate the 2016 Olympic marathon results. Avenge me. Uh, oh, speaking of such, though, I was... We haven't done top threads of the week in a while or deleted threads of the week, but just looking at the top thread of the week, and it was the Kara Goucher thread. I think she, this was in the um, – was it Daily Mail? I thought it was like Business Insider or something. Oh, yeah, Business Insider. Yeah, that's it. Roger Pilkey wrote it. Um, it the thread's titled, I didn't go to Rio because Shalene and Amy were vaporflies, which is the same as EPO. And Carol, you know, wasn't explicitly as that, but she's like, look, they had an unfair advantage. I didn't even realize it was a big deal at the time, but now I do. So it's kind of crazy. It's already been four years, almost, well, uh, since the trials, yeah, four years already. You know, this thing hasn't been sorted out, but I don't think really anyone took two years to kind of figure out what was going on. Uh, Yeah, one more thing I wanted to hit before we get to a quick Super Bowl preview big game in the united states for our american listeners hopefully you're a football fan overseas but can understand if you're not okay one more thing before we get to a quick super bowl preview 
The Daily Mail is reporting that Great Britain will not send a team to the World Indoor Championships in Nanjing, China in March. And I'm not totally surprised by that because they already, many of their top stars are not even going to be going. And I think that's sort of the case with certainly the US as well. It doesn't seem like a lot of top Americans will be trying to run there. But just the more we hear about this coronavirus outbreak in, in China and it's started in Wuhan, which is about 300 miles away from Nanjing, and it doesn't seem to be getting any better. I think a lot of countries are going to be worried about this. I would be surprised at this point if Nanjing hosts the World Championships this year. I think the meet will be canceled or relocated and probably canceled because, again, not a lot of top athletes have so far expressed interest in doing it. And also because it's just very hard to find a new venue get turned around quickly. Weldon, you said you think it's going to be cancelled. Robert, what do you think? Cancelled, relocated, or go on as scheduled? I think it's going to be cancelled. One thing that's made it tough this year is the World Outdoors were a month later than normal, and the, and the Olympics are pretty early next year, so that's really cramping things down. If you're a U.S. distance runner, it's hard to be in shape. And at the Even the guys that are running indoors now don't really want to have to try to peak for March and then be ready for June again. So, But I, I'm a big fan of World Indoors. I, I hope that they move it. Some people are saying they can move it to Poland. I would like to see that. But... John, it's kind of ironic that Britain pulled out, did you see yesterday? That was the same day that I notified the World Athletics people that I would not be attending. I had talked to my wife. She said because of the virus, I could not go. And I said, let's run Mago if you relocate it. So perhaps, I think Britain probably, they probably leaked that to, to, the, to the British Athletics and said, uh, when, if let's run's not going, we're not going to bother either. So we always go to World Indoors. If they reschedule it. Well, we don't always go because we weren't going to go this year. What do you you mean we weren't going to go? We were trying to go. It was the same weekend as NCAA indoors. I was thinking of having John go there since neither Steve nor myself could go with young children. But this is my problem with it. World indoors was a really big deal when it was in America and we all had to go. Then the Americans don't bother when it's not in America. So support track and field. But the Olympic year is just hard because that's everyone's contracts based on that. Everyone's dream is the Olympics. So All right. Well, let's close it out. Quick look at Super Bowl 54. Unfortunately, the Cowboys for the 100th year in a row won't be in it. And the Patriots, for the first time since 2016, that's the first, last time that the Patriots were not in the Super Bowl. It is the San Francisco 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm really excited for this game. It's two of the, They've been two of the best teams all season. I think Baltimore was the best team in the league this year, but they got upset, Robert. Apologies to, what, your second favorite team or third favorite team, something like that, whatever. Um who are you guys picking? The gambling line, I think, is Chiefs by one. I'm going Kansas City. What do you guys think? Thank you, John. Thank you for actually getting in the gambling line. I see that Barstool Sports has sold for $450 million to pin gaming. So clearly we need to start talking about gambling a little bit more on this podcast. Chiefs are one-point favorites. So yeah, they're going to win. I don't want some team – like, wait, hey, John, I thought that the 49ers were all about Jimmy G – do they just run the ball? I couldn't even name their running back. Like have you Zika, watched any of the? Have you watched any of the games? Well, I watched the last game, but was that an anomaly? Before that, I was hearing about the Titans guy who ran all over the place. So, like, who's their number one running back? I I know about the. I keep reading about the fullback. I don't know if that's subtle racism. All I read about is the 49ers fullback. That's your Ivy League. That's your Ivy League elitism, right there. Kyle Yuschek is of Harvard. Is that no? It's just I read the Wall Street Journal. I'm an informed person. Ivy League elitism, Look, right? There. It used to be a Kelsey the tight end. Now they're running. Well, it's upsetting to well. Kelsey, he's on the Chiefs. What are you talking what? about? I mean, um, uh, Kittle. Excuse George me. George Kittle, my wife's fantasy star. Got my K's wrong there, but 
Well, Weldon's just upset because it shows that you can have a no-name running back and still have a dominant running game. So, and, and their coach is actually smart enough to do what's fine, figure out what's working. Shanahan Jr. is smart enough. If something's working, he'll just run the ball the whole game. I think he passed like what eight times last game or something. So I'm worried about the 49ers. I don't want them to win. I do not want Jimmy Garoppolo to win this thing. This guy went on a date with a porn star. Uh, to me, that's somewhat. I just think it's going to hurt Tom Brady's legacy. John talked about my favorite teams. <laughs> you think it's going to hurt Tom Brady's legacy if Jimmy Garoppolo? Tom, wins the Super it's Bowl. Cowboys one. Redskins is support, watching Redskins in support of my wife too, and then my co number three teams. Although. They're kind of moving up. Is Baltimore your top two teams are division rivals, Robert? This makes no. It sense. was Baltimore and New England because I love Brady. I think maybe Baltimore's vaulted to number two, but John, this is easy. Weldon and I, we have our hometown team in the Super Bowl, baby. The Kansas City Chiefs. They started as the Dallas Texans. Go Chiefs! Well, I forgot about that. Yes, we love the Chiefs. All right, Weldon, since you couldn't name him, I'm going to give him some respect. Raheem Mostert is their running back. He rushed for NFC Championship game record. I think it was 220 yards, four touchdowns. He'd been cut by like six other teams in the league and suddenly breaks out this year because they'd had injuries to Tevin Coleman and uh, another running back. So Shanahan will just do whatever works or like all season they've been running a lot? They, they like to, I mean, they're, they're a run-first team. And Shanahan is really creative with some of the run plays he comes up with, but they're not afraid to give it to Jimmy Garoppolo. There's this narrative out there that like, oh yeah, they're trying to hide Garoppolo as a game manager. No, I mean, if you watch that, they played the Saints, they beat him like 46-45 in New Orleans, and Jimmy G was throwing all over the place. They've got weapons, they've got Kittle, who's also an excellent blocker, they've got Debo Samuel, they've got Emmanuel Sanders. They will throw it, but... Here's the thing. When you're running for six yard of, yards of pop and the other team can't stop you on the ground, why would you throw, give it to your quarterback? Maybe I need to go back and watch that game and just see the offensive plays because they had, what, eight passes? Is that it? I just want to see them just hand the ball off every single time because I really haven't seen that. But is this going to be like last year's Super Bowl? Remember, they've got some C.J. Anderson. So now the 49ers have some no-name running back who was cut and everyone was talking about him and then in the actual game the running attack isn't there i mean that's what happens how often do teams with stud running backs win the super bowl like it never happens anymore i guess marshawn lynch was probably the last time that a team had a dominant running back that that won and even then the defense was the best part of that team the seahawks in 2013 it's just it's not necessary and that's why you guys are in trouble because you paid all this money to your running back and yeah, now you're gonna to have to pay your quarterback as well. You're not gonna have any room for the Cowboys. Aren't gonna have enough room to buy any other good players on their team. But I don't think it's gonna be a low-scoring game. I think it's gonna be an exciting one. These are two excellent teams. San Francisco defense going against Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes. We haven't even mentioned him. That guy's a magician. I'm really excited. It's gonna be nice. Well, it's not gonna be nice not having the Patriots in it, but it's gonna be less stressful than usual. You what? You know. When the, your team's in the Super Bowl, you live and die with every play. It's a very stressful experience. It's rewarding if you win, but it sucks if you lose. This is just going to be nice. I can sort of relax. And my friends, I mean, we're going to be watching with a, my one of my friends from college who's a Chiefs fan. So I do kind of want Jimmy G to win. But uh, if the Chiefs win, I'll be happy for my buddy. Wow, that's the biggest like loser mentality. It's less stressful now. This is how the slow decline starts, John. Rome didn't fall in a day. You just start having that mentality and... Oh, man, I'd love to have the stress of a Super Bowl. How about them Cowboys? I would like to apologize to 
those of you that think that Super Bowl talk is sexism. I've been trying to become a little bit more woke, call John out when he focuses on men's running more than women's running. And I was reading this week that something... <laughs> when I focus on men's running more than women's running. <laughs> hey, for some people, everything's sexism. People in Let's Run were pointing out with Kobe's death. I, that- I read this, that some women want to stop sports talk at work because someone, there aren't as many women that are sports fans so they feel left out of the conversation. Hey, not everything is equal or has to be fair in life. If men want to talk about sports, what's wrong? Women can talk about whatever, or any group of people can talk about whatever. And no, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. People can find sexism and everything. I saw this thing linked to on Let's Run with Kobe's death, and this was posted before his death. But Sally of Wazelle was pointing to an article and where Kobe had said, I think three women could play in the NBA right now. And that the, it was irresponsible journalism and sexism to have that, and that a man shouldn't be the arbiter of discussing women's sports. Like, he said it. Like, someone can't write an article about it? It's just, oh my gosh, it's just sort of crazy. Like, women's sports and men's sports are played on different levels. And to ask, you know, could the women play in the NBA? Like, that's just, like we're supposed to like shut down that train of thought now? Like, I mean, that's kind of crazy. Also, how is he unqualified to answer that? Kobe Bryant watches plenty of women's basketball. It's not like he's someone who's just saying that ignorantly. Like, he watched, he, or he watched the women's game. So I, I disagree with that statement, but that three women could play in the NBA. But I, I, he watches a lot more women's basketball than I do. So I, who's the one talking out of their ass here? It's me. Well, no, apparently it's anyone who even brings up that conversation because then women's sports are being evaluated on a male platform and that's sexist. So, hey, you know, I just think you need some perspective at time. Is there sexism, racism? Yes, of course there is. But if you're, I would argue, if you're a minority, a female, an underprivileged group, anything, pick any time in the world you'd rather be born, I would say right now. Does that mean it's perfect? No, but like there's just a lot of times no sense of perspective. And, uh, you know, if you view the world through that prism, you can find examples wherever. So, hey, it's easy for me for a white male to, to, to not focus or get caught up in these things. But I just like to uh, just evaluate things on who they are. It's just a lot easier for me. All right. Well, I think we're going off the rails a little bit here. I think this is a this is a good discussion this week, but we're ready to move on. Move on to the Super Bowl. Everyone enjoy your Super Bowl parties. It's a, still a travesty the day after the Super Bowl is a national holiday. I'll have to get, you know, next president to work on that one. I'm surprised Trump hasn't. That's one initiative of Trump. If he got on that, I, I could get behind that. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'd play right up to Trump's base, right? You would think, right? That's a that's a win for everyone. Oh, wait. Oh, my God. The Iowa caucuses are on Monday, I think. I kept saying we're going to have a political segment with Eric live on the boots on the ground in Iowa. I guess it's not going to happen, people. Just like Weldon's never going to give us his favorite things about New York. You want them now? Well, give it give it to us next week's Milrose Week. How about we, we talk about that next week on the podcast as we preview Milrose. Weldon gives us his five most, yeah, five favorite things about New York. All right, we'll save those for next week. And next week, we'll be kicking off something new on Let's Run. It's Hoka Marathon Month. Robert talked to Ben Rosario. We're going to be kind of going behind the scenes with some sponsored look at some of the Hoka people getting ready for the trials. They've got contenders on the men's side, women's side. Jim Walmsley. I swear like every other thread now on the Let's Run forums is about Jim Walmsley banging out, I don't know, 
2,000 miles up a mountain and people are obsessed with that guy. Yeah, Jim Walmsley could like eat eat a candy bar or something. They'd be like, Jim Walmsley spotted eating like hundred grand bar in the streets. Is this good for his training? How will he do in the trials? Like any time I see a serious discussion of like who's going to make the Olympic marathon team, there'll be someone who'll just fly in and say, "Oh, Walmsley, Walmsley," and then everyone else. I'm just like, and I'm pretty big at like detecting trolls and stuff on there. Pretty good at it, and they're not. I really think it's like different people, legitimate people. I'm I'm going to be fascinated to see how he does. I am very I'm genuinely excited to see how he does. I don't think he has a prayer to make the team, but I really am going to be excited to see how he runs in Atlanta. All right. Until next week. Signing off.